I am one of the preachers here at GFC. And this morning we have the pleasure of wrapping up our study of the book of Acts. We have spent almost a year going in depth through this book, chapter by chapter and verse by verse. Um, and I have been just deeply impacted by so many of the things that we've studied this past year. I've been convicted uh, of my own prejudices. I've been humbled by the wisdom that God has in orchestrating my life beyond my own wisdom. And I have been utterly awed by the resurrection. And I have seen, above all, Jesus over and over and over again as the Holy Spirit has unquestionably acted both in this book and in my life this past year. And I hope that you also have been impacted by all of these things uh, that we have been learning throughout this last year. And in the midst of that, we have come to the, a conclusion that, that we've said from the pulpit a few times, uh, which is that the main point of Acts is, and I'm going to make this a little interactive, for those of you who remember what we have said again and again, the main point of Acts, let's try to say it all together, and there's some help in your outline. Uh, <laughs> so the, the main point of Acts that we have hit over and over again is that God's promised kingdom grows against all odds into the likeness of the resurrected Christ. Yes. Awesome. That makes my teacher heart happy. Uh, and so you'll see that there in your outlines this morning. And we're going to go into just a little bit of the detail in each of those sections that God's promised kingdom grows against all odds through external and internal pain, through varied results beyond our gravest prejudices, through appointed leaders, through innocent, through innocence despite opposition. Ultimately, where we're going this morning is into the likeness of the resurrected Christ. So let's jump right in and see that the kingdom of God is in fact the same one that was promised by God to his people from the very beginning. Let's read Acts 1, 6 through 8, and we'll see the disciples as they stand with Jesus on a hilltop after his triumphant resurrection, and he will be confirmed as the Messiah, although they still don't quite understand what that means. So this is Acts 1, verses 6 through 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So we start off this morning as we see that God's promised kingdom has been planned from the very beginning. In verse 6, the disciples refer to a promise that Yahweh God had given through the prophets Joel and Isaiah. God promised that he would deliver his spirit to his people. That he would finally, a holy God, live among them, a sinful people. And he would establish justice, finally, in the nations. So that is what it means when we talk here about God's promised kingdom. This is what the Jews have been waiting for. 
what the Messiah was coming to accomplish. And from the disciples' perspective, standing there that morning, they had seen Jesus crucified and resurrected, proving that he was the Messiah. And so it must have seemed from their perspective like this long wait for God's promise finally, finally was coming to an end. And so they ask him, will you now restore this kingdom? But Jesus tells them in verse 7 that the timing is not up to them. That they don't even need to know when God will keep his promise. Merely that God will absolutely keep it. And their part in all of this is to be empowered by God, by the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus makes another promise that the Holy Spirit will come. And then he leaves. (laughs) He's gone. Just leaving the disciples, I think, with jaws hanging open, staring up at the sky, blankly possibly wondering, wait, that that's it? That's the end? You, you can't leave now. We're just getting started. This was supposed to be the end. But we know from the coming verses that it's not the end. Because God does keep his promises. The Holy Spirit does arrive in Acts 2. And he does empower the disciples. And so why do we begin here with this promise of God in Acts? Because, friends, I think that this shows that just like Jesus' birth itself, the birth of the promised kingdom of God will take place in a completely unexpected way. But one thing is certain, that if God has promised something, then he will see it done. And so that's exactly how every one of these sections that we're going to read this morning are going to conclude. We're going to see the fulfilled promise of God through all of the things we're studying this morning that God will build his kingdom. And he starts that conclusion, that, that pattern here by concluding this section in Acts 2 verse 47. It says this, and the Lord added to their number Day by day, those who were being saved. Because God builds his promised kingdom. How does that apply this morning? Please know, friends, that the God of then is still the God of now. He is still promising to grow his kingdom in us. His plan for building his kingdom has not changed since the days of Joel and the days of Isaiah. Because the Spirit of God is moving now. Right now. Living within His people and working to transform them into His image. So please, don't believe the lie that everything is out of control. God, friends, is firmly in control. He's in control of this world He's in control of your life, and he will grow his kingdom. 
And so that is the promise that we must cling to. Although how exactly that kingdom grows might be in unexpected ways. It may even grow against all odds. That's exactly what happens in the several next sections in Acts. Let's look at five examples of how the kingdom of God grows against all odds. Beginning with growth through pain. I want to look at an example in Acts 5 this morning of both internal and external pain that God uses to grow his kingdom. First, the internal pain where we see members within this this newly formed developing Christian community. Ananias and his wife sold some part of land and they gave the proceeds to the apostles. But they only gave a part of the proceeds, although they claimed that it was the whole thing. And so Peter makes a very interesting charge against this couple in Acts 5 verse 3. It says this, But Peter said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? Notice how the primary accusation here is not that they tried to deceive the apostles who they actually lied to, but that they tried to lie, they tried to lie to the Holy Spirit. According to the apostles, that is the thing that is of greatest importance here. And if you're like me, this kind of sinful choice that that Ananias and Sapphira made here this morning feels even worse when it's coming from within the body of Christ. It, It feels like some sort of a greater betrayal when this selfishness comes from people who, quite frankly, should have known better. But even when the sin causes internal pain, the Holy Spirit is not deceived. And he is fully capable of working even this sin into growing the kingdom of God. The second example which we see in Acts 5 of external pain is where the apostles were imprisoned And miraculously freed. But then they willingly return to face the Jewish council. Why? So that they can boldly testify to the resurrection of Jesus. Acts 5 verse 40 through 42 says this. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And they let them go. And they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. Friends, as the kingdom of God grows, we can expect not only internal pain, but also external pain as well. And even the pain of outright beatings and shame and dishonor, we can expect that 
as we follow in the path of our Lord Jesus Christ. But again, in verse 41, the apostles focus more on the name of Jesus than they did on their own pain. And by valuing his name above everything else, they are able to never cease preaching that name and even rejoicing that they are counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the sake of the name of Jesus. And so this morning in Acts, we see that both of these stories highlight the reality that serving Jesus will be painful. And yet, the result, the unstoppable result, is worth it. Because God builds his kingdom. How can we know this? How can we hang on to this fact in the midst of our suffering? Because the assurance that God gives us is at the end, again, at the conclusion of this section. Acts 6, verse 7. And the word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Friends, against all odds, God's promised kingdom grows through pain. So how does this apply? Even your greatest pain is not beyond the ability of the Lord to further his kingdom. My son Aiden asked me a little while ago, Daddy, why did God allow the coronavirus? And, and he asked that even only having the smallest fraction of awareness of the pain and suffering, both relational and physical, that has resulted from this virus. But even he knows that there is pain And so my answer to him was this, that I don't know. I really, I don't understand why God did what he did. But I do know completely and utterly that he is big enough to use even this coronavirus to build up, not to break down, but to build up his kingdom. We see this pain that surrounds us so often as something that we need to avoid, to escape, or or to minimize, or distract ourselves from. But this morning, I want us to be assured by the book of Acts that the same suffering that we try to avoid can serve such a greater purpose that God is big enough to redeem it. And although it may not be for us to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, it is through the power of His Holy Spirit that we can be empowered to become His witnesses in the midst of our pain. And so if our role is to be a witness, then we are free to leave the actual outcome fully in His capable hands because friends the results are up to him the results of our testimony often look completely backwards from what we would expect and we're going to see that illustrated again in acts 
through the story of Stephen and Paul. That's where we're going to go on our next section, point B, that the kingdom of God grows even through varied results. And in this section, there are literally dozens of examples in Acts of the varied responses to the gospel being preached. Some believe, many don't. But let's look at one example from Acts 8 and 9 on how the kingdom of God grows against all odds, even when the result is death. And first, we're going to see the result of the ministry of Stephen, who faithfully served the church and faithfully testified to the promise of God's kingdom. But his testimony was rejected violently, and he was actually stoned to death dragged outside of the city and killed. And it says that in Acts or it says in Acts 8:1, which we'll read now, that Saul approved of his that is Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. That was Acts 8.1. That's where we start. But by the will of God, the story of this guy Saul, who gets just a little bit of mention here, is not finished. God is working in this man. And as Saul goes on a journey uh, to another city where he intends to further persecute and destroy the church, instead, he encounters Jesus on the road who speaks to him And when he arrives, he says this in Acts 9, 20. It says that he has immediately proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues, saying he is the son of God. Because of Jesus speaking to him on the road, he now proclaims that Jesus is the son of God. And so we see in these verses that God's kingdom grows in possibly the most unexpected of ways. We see a horrible murder and and of of this faithful witness of Jesus in chapter 9, verse 1. And then it goes on even further that Saul continues to abuse and imprison innocent families in verse 3. But we see even more that the guilty prosecutor of this abuse in verse five or in verse six is transformed into a messenger by the power of Jesus. And this might actually make some of you a little bit uncomfortable. (laughs) It made me a little bit uncomfortable. Why is Stephen martyred? And the guilty man, who it says approved of his execution, is saved. It seems to fly in the face of our sensibility of justice, doesn't it? That is not the result that I would hope for or possibly expect. But praise the Lord that God's kingdom is built through the innocent Paying the price of the redemption for the guilty. 
Because that is what the gospel of Jesus Christ is all about. Because friends, none of us in this place or on Zoom, anywhere on earth this morning are innocent before God. We are all guilty. Only Jesus, only Jesus is innocent before God. And so only he is capable of paying the price for our redemption. Friends, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Only he can redeem us. And so once again, against all odds, the result of this, both death and salvation, is laid out in Acts 9 verse 31. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. Against all odds, God's kingdom grows through varied results. So how does this apply this morning? If you have not trusted your salvation in Jesus Christ, then know that your redemption can only come through him. Your hope of salvation was already bought by the blood of the righteous Son of God. And all you need to do to experience it is to come to him. This morning, if you are a Christian, then let your life be a witness. Whatever the cost. And leave the results in the hand of Jesus, your Lord. You don't need to take responsibility for who accepts this message or who rejects it. Or even the outcome that you experience for yourself or your family. Because in both of these situations this morning, God knows better than we do. We don't know who Or how God will grow his kingdom. We only know that he will. And if we hold on to our prejudices. Then we will be blinded to what God is really doing. That's why we also see that the kingdom of God in the next section will grow beyond our prejudices. One example of this is in Acts 10. Where Peter faces two of the firmest held beliefs. Of the people of Israel. The importance of their ritual cleanliness. And simultaneously the uncleanliness. Of the Gentiles. So in this section. Letter C. We see that Peter is about to be sent. Not merely to any old Gentile. But to a Roman centurion. Who nonetheless. Fears God. And desperately wants to hear. This message of salvation. And so in preparation for this this encounter, the Holy Spirit shows Peter a vision. He shows him a sheet that is full of unclean animals. And he speaks to him in Acts 10, 14 and 15. And there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. 
And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean, do not call common. In these verses, God himself speaks to Peter yet again. And he shows his people how he wants his kingdom to grow. Against and beyond our prejudices. Friends, the purpose of this vision was not to establish a specific diet for the followers of Christ. Nor is it about earthly hunger taking some sort of precedence over the law of God. The entire point of this vision, friends, is that God's word is sufficient to cleanse what is unclean. The power of the word of God can take what was once unacceptable before God, both for consumption and sacrifice in the Jewish law, and to make it acceptable. And this is absolutely critical, because God's kingdom is about to grow beyond the wildest expectation of the Jews. God is going to cleanse the unclean Gentiles. We see that through the next several chapters in Acts. Because of the purifying power of God's word, the unclean are brought into the clean kingdom of God. And so Acts 12 verse 24 concludes this section with this statement, that the word of God increased and multiplied as a result. Against all odds, God's promised kingdom grows beyond our gravest prejudices. How does this apply? If you're not sure if God can grow his kingdom in you and through you, friends, he can. There is nothing unclean enough in you that his word cannot cleanse. And there is nothing unclean enough outside of you that you will encounter that he cannot cleanse. So do not forget the depths from which God rescued you. Or or give up on those who are around you, who you think are beyond his love. There's no end to what he can accomplish through the power of his word. So this morning, I encourage you, pray for revival. Because he can accomplish it. Pray for God to heal your broken heart. Pray for the power to break the long-held habits of sin in your life. God's word is stronger than the things that you think are impossible. Nothing is impossible for God. Not the least of which is the seemingly impossible thing of God actually using us, men and women who are still sinful, to join him in growing the kingdom of God. Let's read Acts 13, 2 through 4, and 15, 16, and 17. And we're going to see in the next section, letter D, how God appoints leaders for the church. And he actually uses them for this kingdom growth. But it is still ultimately God who fulfills his promises. 13, Acts 13, 2 through 4. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, 
the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So being sent by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And then let's see a little bit more in uh, chapter 15, verses 16 through 18, where God speaks again. After this, I will return and I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it that the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known of old. Friends, here again, we see that it is God who is acting, calling his people to with him, to join with him in building his kingdom. He specifically calls Paul and Barnabas in verse 2, And he sets them apart. This is the same Paul who was called Saul that we read about earlier. The same one who approved of the murder of Stephen. And he has been transformed and now fully commissioned by God and the church to now represent the same Jesus that he persecuted. And to represent him to the unclean people of the Gentiles. See also in verse 2, that once again it is the Holy Spirit who ultimately here is speaking and directing the actions of his people. He says in chapter 15, 16 through 17, it is I, Yahweh, the great I am, who restores the broken worship of my people. Both the Jews and the Gentiles have been brought to call upon my name, God says. And so verse 18 reminds the reader back of that promise that we started with. That this is the Lord who makes these things known of old. It is his promise to live with his people And it is his promise to establish justice. And it is his promise to restore the kingdom of God. And so it is his hands through the faithful obedience of his people that will accomplish this. What an amazing fulfillment that is. All of that through the imperfect servants that he appoints. And so I'll bet how you, I bet you can guess how this section wraps up in Acts 16.5. It says this, So the churches were strengthened in faith, and they increased in numbers daily. Against all odds, God's promised kingdom grows through the leaders appointed by God. How does this apply? Just give God the praise and the honor that he is due. Praise him for the unbelievable salvation that he has worked in your life. If you trust in Jesus, then you are a part of that promised remnant 
that Jesus has received as an inheritance from God the Father. You, this morning, are a member of the restored worship of the house of David. It just let yourself be awestruck by that answered promise of God. Because it's amazing. And as we truly understand who God is and who he has made you to be, then friends, you will grow in confident innocence as you go forth into the world and you face mounting opposition. Because the relationship that you have now with God the Father through Jesus is forever hidden in Christ. There is nothing that can take that away from you. If his word has declared you clean, if his word has declared your sins paid for, then you are clean. And nothing can name you unclean. So let's see how that confidence is expressed continuing in the book of Acts as we look at chapter 17, verses 2 through 5. Here we'll see, uh, as yes, as chapter 17, verses 2 through 5. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures and explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded, and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. In this section, E, on your outline, we see that there, these verses give us one example of how the people of God continue to testify with confident innocence, both as they are supported and as they are rejected. This is a large section of Acts that shows time and time again the faithful witness of Paul, once Saul, and his brothers and sisters. Verse 3 says that they proved from the scriptures that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and die and rise from the dead. <clears throat> rise from the dead. Excuse me. Friends, again, this is the gospel message. Jesus the Christ suffered, died, and rose again for the sake of God's promises. That is the only way, the only way that a holy God can dwell among his people. That is how God answers his promise through the sacrificial atonement available through Jesus. That has always been the plan, always from the times of old. And that is how we can confidently claim Innocence before a holy God. Only through Jesus. And whether some are persuaded as in verse 4. Or if a mob forms. 
as in verse 5, and sets the city in an uproar. Either way, we will continue to share the truth about God's good news. And in doing so, as it says in Acts 19.20, the result is the word of the Lord continued to increase and to prevail mightily. Against all odds, God's promised kingdom grows through the growing innocence of his people despite opposition. So how do we apply? Very simply this morning, rest your innocence on the acts of Jesus and be confident in his work. Do not look to your own strength to earn what cannot be earned. Only the blood of Jesus is capable. And so in doing that, you will know with full certainty that your innocence is in his hands. Because when God the Father looks at you, he no longer sees you. He no longer sees your sin. He no longer sees an enemy. He sees his son, Jesus Christ. He sees Jesus. That is the end result of his salvation. Friends, we are made even more into the likeness of Christ. So let's conclude this book of Acts this morning, chapter 28, verses 17 through 20, as we see us transformed into the image of Christ. The setting here, as Paul prepares to stand trial one more, fi- one final time in Rome. Read these verses with me. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar. Though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and speak with you. Since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. This morning, after Paul's long journey, which we covered in detail over the last year, I think that we are supposed to see how much Paul slash Saul has been conformed by the Holy Spirit into a picture of Jesus. Verse 17, like Jesus, Paul had done nothing against any of the Jewish law. And yet, like Jesus, he was delivered as a prisoner to the Romans. And in verse 18, like Jesus, Paul was not found guilty of anything worthy of death. And yet, like Jesus, in verse 19, the Jews objected, sending him ultimately to his death. But most importantly, friends, like Jesus, this journey of Paul's 
was not one of condemnation. But rather, as it says in verse 20, it is because of the hope of Israel. The hope that was promised in the beginning that the Lord would restore His kingdom. Paul shows that this has been accomplished through Jesus. And his own life and his own death are proofs of that. Which brings us to the conclusion of the entire book of Acts. Acts 28 verses 30 through 31. It says this. He lived there, that's Paul, two whole years at his own expense. And he welcomed all who came to him. He welcomed all who came to him. Proclaiming the kingdom of God. And teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. With all boldness and without hindrance. Nothing can stop the kingdom of God. So why did Paul speak with such boldness? Because he knew that God's promised kingdom grows against all odds into the likeness of the resurrected Christ. And nothing can hinder that, friends. Nothing. So how does this apply this morning? God's the, friends, the kingdom of God is built as you and I are transformed into the likeness of Christ. That is what it means for the kingdom to grow. There are so many other things that we look to as evidence for the growth of his kingdom. How many people are sitting in these seats on a Sunday morning? What laws does our country choose to pass? What is the financial situation of your family or even a nation? How healthy is our body? Friends, none of these are proof of the kingdom of God transforming our lives. Ultimately, the indicator of the presence of the kingdom of God is none of these things, but the Holy Spirit acting in your life to transform you into the image of His Son, Jesus Christ. So let's make that our prayer this morning, that His Spirit would act and make each of us more like Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we ask your spirit to come on us this morning. Lord, that you would act in our lives and in our world. God, that we would look like you. Lord, against all odds, that you would take us guilty sinners and make us righteous sons of God. And Lord, that your kingdom would grow it would flourish in our hearts, in our homes, in our families, in our country, God, that your kingdom, unstoppable, would march quickly, would march quickly, God, that we could grow into the inheritance that you deserve. Lord, work in our lives this morning and this week. Amen.